Welcome to Awaken to Grace. Today is a special edition as we are going to feature our student pastor at Preaching Christ Church, Pastor Glenn Stewart. Uh, Glenn leads our student ministry and all of our student staff and does a tremendous job. And today we are going to follow along in Luke chapter 15 as Glenn speaks on the very familiar story of the prodigal son. What I loved about his teaching is that he doesn't only focus on the prodigal son. He also draws some incredible spiritual lessons, some great principles out of the brother of the prodigal. He shares a great deal about his own upbringing, and I think you'll be able to relate uh, with what Pastor Glenn shares. So let's go to God's Word together, Luke chapter 15, on this special edition of Awakened to Grace. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this, is, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing, and, went, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours come, came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. God, thank you for this word. Teach us today how to prepare our homes for the prodigal's return. As we're preparing for revive, teach us 
how we can prepare ourselves to receive the prodigals coming home. In Jesus' name, amen. So look over here at the cross. I've had the, the privilege of climbing the ladder and nailing these to the cross. And I would estimate about four to 500 names are on that cross. One, one card, if you guys have seen the cards, they're about this big, right? One card had 18 names on it. So not every card is just one name. And as I'm nailing them up, I begin praying, God, reveal yourself to them. Romans 1.19, God, make yourself known to this person the only way you can. And I'm listening to a book at this time called Nine Common Lies Christians Believe. And a guy was talking about this text. And it got me thinking, the prodigal's coming home. I'm listening to this book about it. We want these prodigals to come home, right? We are believing for these 500 names to come home. But have we prepared our home for their return? See, we want these people to come home. We want these people to walk through our doors and experience Jesus. But have we actually prepared for this? Let's walk through this text to see how we can do so. So the, let's go back to verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. Now, this may not apply to everybody, but I want to share this as an encouragement to some people. Some people have put their child's name on that cross. Some people put their brother's name or whoever's name's on that cross. I want to share the story of me and my sister. Some of y'all know my sister. I love my sister to death. But the reality of it is, is she is as big as prodigal as anybody else I've dealt to that cross. See, when we grew up, till I was about 10 or 12, my parents were still married. They were home. They got a divorce. My dad left. We became homeless for two years, me, my mom, and my sister. So my sixth and seventh grade year at Severe, I had nowhere to call home. Teachers were sending letters home, hey, we'd love to come, home, come to your house and visit you and meet your parents. And I would just throw the paper away as I was leaving the class because I had no home for them to come to. My sister was the same way. Her elementary school teachers, hey, we want to come meet the parents. You can't do that. There's nowhere for us to meet. My mom cut off all communication with my family. I couldn't call anybody and say, hey, we need food. I was, we were stuck. Fast forward, eighth grade, I meet this youth pastor. He invites me to church. I said, I'm making a commitment to live my life for Christ. At that moment, not a few months later, my grandmother, who's sitting back here, um, she allowed me to move into her house so I'd have stability in my, in my house through high school. My sister had that option, and she rejected it. She wanted to stay with my mom. She wanted to bounce around. She wanted to go to these different places. But here's the reality of the situation. When it came to us being raised, when it came to us with the same rules and regulations, we had the exact same. But we still made two different decisions. I made a decision to make my life as a commitment to Christ, and she didn't. So as parents who have prodigals that have moved on, moved up and moved out, and you beat yourself up about how 
You could have done this better. Could have just realized that this man had everything. He still had two sons and one still left. At some point, it's not your fault. It's their decision that made him a prodigal. It's not your fault that your brother and sister doesn't know. I mean, you can share the gospel, right? But it's, it's their decision what they do with it. It is their decision what choices they make in life. They were raised the same but made different decisions. So what do prodigals do? When they make this decision, what do they do? They most likely will pack their things and leave. Right? That's what he did. He gathered all his things and left and took a journey into a far country to live a reckless life. Isn't that what prodigals are doing? They're living a, that's why we're praying for them. They don't know grace and peace and compassion. They only know it's reckless living because they don't know Jesus. That's why they're on the cross. So they collect everything and leave. And then here's what, this is interesting to me because I've seen it played out in my life, in my sister's life, and everyone else's lives. When they become a prodigal and they go out on their own and have reckless living, outside circumstances hit them a little harder than they do us. So this man, he took his, the prodigal took his stuff, he went out to a far country, had reckless living, and then what happened? The famine. The famine hit... And it hit him a little harder because he didn't have the security to have food. Do you think if he would have stayed home, he would have had security of food? Probably. Do you think that famine would have been as big of an effect on him as it was when he became a prodigal? See, I think because he was a prodigal, that famine hit a little harder. And see, that's how it is with with my sister. I was actually praying she was here to hear this part of it. My sister made her decision to become a prodigal. She's become addicted, and she'll admit to she's an addi- she has an addiction. But what happens is when life circumstances happen, because we all know life happens, right? When life happens in her life, it's a little bit tougher for her to bounce back from. And it digs that pit a little deeper for her to crawl out of. And that's what happened to the prodigal. And see, then they begin settling for what they think they deserve. And I'm telling you, settling is another sermon for me. Because people will settle for what they feel they deserve. They will settle for the love they think they deserve because of the situation that they put themselves in. See, this man, the prodigal, thought that the only thing he deserved was feeding pigs from another citizen because that's what decisions he made. And don't, don't prodigals feel that way? Like when they make a bad decision, they feel like, oh, this is what I must do. This is what I deserve. I'm in this relationship because this is the only love that I deserve. I've seen it time and time again. And they begin settling. And that settling takes that hole they've dug themselves a little deeper and a little deeper. But then... Listen to this in verse 17. But he came to himself. What does Proverbs 22, 6 say? Train up a child in the way that you go, right? He came to himself. He realized that one moment he woke up and said, you know, feeding the pigs and me not eating, this kind of sucks. Like, I don't want to do this. I'm hungry. This isn't a life that I want, so he came to his, what did he realize that moment? He realized who his father was. He realized the security he had at home. He realized 
the pit that he dug himself in, and he knew how to get out of it. He knew the training. He knew the, the raising up that he had. and said, I'm going to stand on that, and I'm going to go home. He realized being home is the best thing for him, spiritually and literally, because he was his father's son. So his best decision was this, to go home. See, these prodigals, I love these prodigals on the cross. I've thoroughly enjoyed nailing them up there. I'm praying for each one as I nail them up there. But those prodigals more than likely won't walk into this church the first time they come home. Those prodigals will not walk through these doors when they're ready to meet Jesus. Those prodigals will come to your house. Those prodigals will knock on your front door. A few weeks ago, Pastor Chad showed a video of Jim Simbla on Tuesday Night Prayer. Go look up Jim Simbla, Pastor Brooklyn Tabernacle, his prodigal story with his daughter. It is amazing what God has done. He's a pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle, which is a fairly large church now. I'm not sure what size it was when he had the prodigal situation, but it's fairly large now. And do you know his daughter didn't come to the church to meet him? She knocked on his front door. She said, I don't know where to go, but I'm going home to my father's house. I'm going to go home and experience Jesus where I grew up. Those prodigals, they may come here, but more than likely they're going to your house. They're knocking on your front door, so how are you ready for them? How are you expecting them to come home? So let's look at it. Let's look at the two ways to respond. First, let's look at the way the father responded. Verse 20, and he arose and came to the father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now, the nine o'clock didn't really like this analogy. They didn't laugh as much as I think you guys will. But people didn't run. Royalty didn't run. Men didn't run in this time period. If you ran, it was shameful because you had to pick your row up to show your ankles. So what does this mean? That means for us, that means someone in high standard in our community, someone high standard in, in, in government, would run down the street in their underwear to meet their son. That's what it is in our culture. That is how shameful it is. That is how Bold it is to run after this man. People don't realize, oh, he ran after, like, oh, he ran, he ran after his son. No, people don't run in this culture. People didn't, that, that was shameful. You didn't do that. He know, why did he notice? See, this is the thing. I think the prodigal's dad was sitting on his front porch every day looking at the road his, his son left on and saying, one day he's coming home. One day he's coming home. Today might be the day he's coming home. And he's preparing himself and his home for that. And what happened when they noticed him? He ran. Here's another interesting little side piece for you to think about. Why do you think he ran? Not but Yes, it was his father's love. Yes, it was shameful. But I think he ran because he knew if any of his servants or his older brother saw him, they would reject him. And he said, I don't want to be the first one to welcome him home. So he noticed him. He ran after him. He kissed him. He celebrated with him. He gave him a clean slate. He said, here's a robe. Here's a ring. 
Here's your shoes. Welcome home. And then he gives his blessing of the fattened calf. Now, the Bible doesn't say that he had to go make the robe. He had to go make a ring. He had to go make the shoes. He had to go fatten the calf first. The Bible says, give him the robe, give him the ring, give him the shoes, and kill the fat calf that was already prepared for him to come home with. See, that's where we're missing the point is, as, as Christians, when these products are coming home, we're not ready for them, so we turn them away. We aren't ready for them, so the prodigal will come home, and we don't know what to do, and then they leave again. I've seen it so many times in my life. I've seen it. I can tell you story after story after story of my family. They'll come. They'll give their life to Christ. They'll, go, or they'll, they'll make a commitment to live for Christ. They'll go home. The home doesn't accept them, and they turn around and walk right back out the door into sin. I see it time and time again. We must be a home that is welcoming, that celebrates them coming home. But then there's the son, and so many times we act this way. The son said he was angry, verse 28, but he was angry and refused to go in. Now, as I'm reading this text this time, 9 o'clock didn't get this, but 11 o'clock will. As I'm reading this, God showed me, do we get angry when we're not the ones leading them to Christ? Do we get angry when we're not the one answering the phone to say, here's how you know Jesus? See, I've seen it so many times where people get angry when their brothers, sister, children call them, hey, I know Jesus now. And they get mad because they're not the one with the phone call. They're not the one answering the phone and saying, hey, how do I know Jesus? They get the news afterwards and they get mad about it. Why are we getting mad? We should celebrate that they know Jesus now. Amen? We should celebrate the fact that this person come to know Jesus, not be angry that someone else led them there. We're on the same team. We're all working together. So he was anger. He had jealousy. Dad, you gave him everything. You gave him a robe, a ring, shoes, even the fattened calf, and I can't even get a baby goat. And because we're jealous of the blessings God is giving the prodigal, we push them back out the door. In reality, we've got to evaluate our life. Yeah, they're going to get blessings. But what blessings do we already have? We are already established in the kingdom. We have already been established that everything is ours. We have already been given everything because we're home. This guy's just coming home for the first time. We can't be jealous of their blessings, but it must evaluate our lives of our own. How much has God protected you from since you've been home? How much has God set aside for you? How many blessings, as Pastor Chad talked about earlier, how many blessings has he poured into your life because you've been home? Don't compare your blessings with your prodigal because that'll turn them away faster than anything. So there's a few ways to recognize to see if your home is ready for a prodigal. First thing, are you prepared? Do you have what, whatever it is? Do you have the, the ring, the robe, the fattened calf? Is your home ready to welcome them? But also I want you to realize that it is God's work to bring your prodigal home, not yours. It is God's work. 
See, the reality of it is so many times us Christians want to do God's work for him. And then we wonder why this person doesn't know Jesus. We must let God work. See, for us as Christians, our job is to take the gospel to their ears and let the Holy Spirit take it from the ears to their heart. We can't transform the heart. We can't transform the heart, but we can present the gospel. Secondly, we must realize we're not fighting against flesh and blood. That person is not your enemy. They are your loved one that the enemy has a hold of. And we must be ready to go to war spiritually for this person. We must love unconditionally. Now, I want to be careful when I say this. Love unconditionally means give a clean slate, show grace, but it doesn't mean enable. So many times I see Christians, they're praying for the prodigal, but they're enabling their actions. Don't enable. Love unconditionally. And you must take care of yourself. How many of you guys have been in an airport on a plane, you're getting ready to go, and they do all the safety things, right? Here's the door. Here's what to do when this happens. And if this mask's dropped down, what's the first thing to say to do? Put it on yourself first, right? In order for us to take care of other people, in order for us to take care of people and show the gospel and welcome our prodigal, we must be ready. We must be taken care of. Put your mask on. Say, let me take care of myself so I can help that person when they come home. We can't help in a weak mindset. We can't help weak spiritually. We can't help if we're weak ourselves. We must take care of ourselves. And the last thing is we never, ever stop praying. Now, here's the reality of it. I would love, you're talking about making this church a racetrack. If 500 people walked in this church in two weeks and know Jesus, this church would be a racetrack. People would be running all over the place. But I promise, I'm just going to say from my experience, you can say whatever you want. From my experience, the four names I nailed to that cross, three of them will not walk through our doors right now. They won't. I've invited them for years. They won't walk through our doors. For whatever reason. They, one's my sister. She, she won't. Is she going to come to Revive? I'm asking. But remember, it's her decision. Right? We talked about it. So after Revive, if I don't pull her name off the cross and saved, does that mean I stop praying? No. That means I put it on my desk at work. I put it on my mirror when I'm getting ready. And every morning, every day, every night, I never stop praying for my prodigal to come home. There's a guy I know, really great. He prayed for his father to come home for 35 years. And he said he never expected his dad to walk through the back of the church the night he was speaking. Never. He said during that, he didn't even know he was there. And he looked down and his dad was giving his life to Christ. After 35, never stop praying. Never stop praying. Will you bow your heads with me? Tonight, or this morning, sorry, tonight, I'm talking student ministry. This morning, I want to give two invitations. The first one, if you're a prodigal, you know your name should be nailed on that cross. You know you've wandered away from God. You know you've been living in reckless living, and it's time to come home. Today is the day for that. Today is the day where you stand up and you come home to Christ today, and he'll welcome you. I promise you, if you come up here, there'll be people praying with you. There'll be people show you how 
to come home, show you how to give your life to Christ, and we will disciple you so you don't leave. If today is, if that's you, if you're a prodigal, come home. Jesus is waiting. Come home. He will meet you with open arms and excitement. Secondly, if, you need, if you're praying for a prodigal and you need to prepare your home, prepare yourself today. Let today be the starting point to that. Whatever the case is, come to the altar, stay in your chair. Let today be the day where you begin preparing your home for the prodigal to return. You can't prepare it when he's already there. You can't prepare when she's already there. You must begin preparing today for their arrival. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for this word. Thank you for this message. God, if there's any prodigals in this room who have strayed away from your word, strayed away from your love, they went to the far country in reckless living, let them come home today. Let them come home with welcoming arms, with compassion, with grace and excitement. Let them come with no matter how shameful it is. Let them come home. And God is we begin preparing our home for these, these prodigals. As we look at what's in our home to prepare ourselves, let us never stop praying. Let us recognize it is your work to transform their lives. Let us realize it is a spiritual battle and let us get ready for war. Let us love unconditionally, but not enable. And God, let us take care of ourselves so we can pour out into others. In Jesus' name.